Good morning and welcome to week five of our Three Circle series. You know, one of the things I want to do is give credit to the creator of Three Circles. It was Pastor Jimmy Scroggins at Family Church in West Palm Beach that came up with this um, Three Circles concept, and he encourages and welcomes churches like ours to take it and use it freely. And it is a, such a, a great model for us to think through. For those of you that come on Tuesday night, starting this Tuesday night, each family group is going to receive a gift, a free gift of a book from Pastor Jimmy Scroggins titled Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations that will dig deeper into this three circles concepts. So I hope you guys will be here on a Tuesday night. And today we are going to dig into week five, which is looking at God's design for marriage. I got to go to a wedding last week. Um, last week I got to attend my brother-in-law and his fiance's wedding and they, they it was it was so cool. It was a really, really neat wedding. And I had this epiphany. I saw something at that wedding that I don't know that I've ever really recognized or seen before. Um, I have a little niece, and her name is Penelope Jane, and we call her PJ. Um, I have a picture of PJ at the wedding that will melt your face right off. PJ is one of the cutest things, and, and you'll see here um, with the bride, Kaylee. And then this is PJ during the, the bride and groom's first dance. Look at that little girl. You know what she's thinking about? That girl's planning her wedding. <laughs> And that girl is planning her wedding. And I had this epiphany that little girls, at as young as three and four years old, they see the bride, they see these princesses in their movies, and they begin to dream about their wedding day. God hardwired this kind of love story into us. This is God's design. This is the way he created us to find and desire this love. And we all want this kind of love that stands the test of time, that overcomes adversity, and is topped off by feelings of attraction and romance. We all want to be swept off our feet. You see, little girls, they start planning their weddings about four years old, but it's not just the girls. Boys, they kind of start thinking and planning for their wedding somewhere around 14 or 15, if you know what I mean, and for different reasons, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But everyone looks forward to that day. Everyone looks forward to that love story. From the beginning, God has declared gender, sexuality, marriage, all to be foundational aspects of his design for humans to flourish in this world. This is God's design. And we saw a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3 that God had a design for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But the devil came along and he began to raise questions. He, he began to raise questions about the goodness of God's design. And ever since then, that this first encounter in the Garden of Eden, Satan has not stopped. It's no surprise that even to this day, Satan attacks humans in this area. And I think we would all agree that marriage and gender and sexuality is under attack like we've never seen before. While we could spend several sermons, we could spend several sermons discussing these topics... All the things the Bible has to say about gender, sexuality, relationships, today we're going to focus on marriage. Marriage. And marriage is the key component of God's design for sexuality and for family structure. Marriage is not, let's get this out of the way, marriage is not several things. Marriage is not a social construct. It is not. Marriage is not a tool of the patriarchy. Marriage is not one of the many options for the family structure. Marriage was created 
by God. God's design for marriage can be summarized this way. One man with one woman and only one man with one woman for life. We look at Mark chapter 10, verse 6. It says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. It was God who chose their sex. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The truth is, none of us have perfect families. None of us pass the the perfect test, the perfect marriage, or the perfect kids. We are all broken. We are all broken families at some level. But we believe that the principles in the Bible have the ability to speak into our lives effectively and address every single unique situation. We all have to realize and teach our children that God has purposes in a specific design for marriage. We're going to look at that design today. What is God's design for marriage? Here are, we're going to walk through today the seven purposes for marriage that God has designed for us. Number one, marriage reflects the image and character of God. Marriage, when done right, points people to the image, love, and glory of God. Why? Because it is a picture of Jesus and the church. Marriage is that picture. It's such a beautiful thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Jesus loves the church unconditionally. He sacrifices himself for her good. When he died upon the cross, he forgives her no matter how deeply you and I offend him and sin against him and pursues pursues her no matter how far we drift from God. God still pursues us. And that's exactly how husbands and wives are supposed to love each other, to serve each other, to forgive each other, and to pursue each other in marriage. So marriage reflects the image and character of God is our first one. Number two, marriage is meant to make life more fun and pleasurable. Marriage is supposed to make life fun. Did you know that? Marriage is supposed to make life more fun. Okay, we're going to learn something today. Marriage should make life fun. Proverbs 18.22 is a great passage. It says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. A A wife is a good thing. A marriage is a good thing. Marriage and family should be fun. Marriage gives you a friend for life. Marriage gives you someone who provides a platform to face life's challenges and to, and to share life's joys with. Kids need to see this. They need to be taught and shown God's design for marriage, that it's a good and positive and pleasurable relationship. You should be able to laugh so much in your home. 
Your home should be a place filled with joy. The dinner table should be a place where you come and you enjoy being together as a family. Mom and dad, you're going to have dust-ups. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have frustrations. Let's do our best to do those behind closed doors. And let's let our children see a marriage that reflects the love of Christ, that mom and dad love each other, that these folks love each other. And then don't be afraid to laugh at yourself. One of my favorite moments in all of marriage was, was one of my darkest days. Um, I, I was, uh, it was before we had kids. I was about 28, and I did something that had never happened to me before, and, and this was kind of a welcome to adulthood. I threw my back out. And we're talking like next level back spasms. So, so my, my sweet bride, Sarah, is just trying her best to help me. And I can't move. I can't get out of bed. I can't do anything. And so we go to urgent care. And, and she, she comes to help me out of the, the, side, you know, the door of the truck. And I get out and fall on the ground in the bushes. And I'm laying there with my very first in, in life moment of help. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> okay. If you haven't had one of those, you will. You will. It happens to all of us. And as I lay there, literally unable to move, she's just kind of like choking up and laughing. I'm like, what is so funny? I'm, I'm a wounded dog here. Just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. And she goes in and finds the nurse and the urgent care, and they come out with a wheelchair and do their best to hoist me up and get me in and taken care of. And we look back on that moment. Remember when you fell out of the truck <laughs> and you couldn't move? I'm like, yes, I definitely do. Don't be so serious that we can't take these moments that are just not fun at all and laugh about them. Don't, don't take ourselves so seriously. Don't take life so seriously that we lose some of the joy. Marriage should be fun. Marriage is meant to make life more fun and pleasurable. Number three, marriage is for companionship and help. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God knew that we couldn't handle it on our own, guys. God knew it's not good for us to be alone. You're going to be in trouble. It wasn't good for Adam to be by himself, and he needed help to do the things that God had created him and called him to do. When a man and a woman agree to be married, they commit to stay with one another and help one another for the rest of their lives. Now, let me just be clear. We're talking about God's design for marriage, and, and we understand how that looks, and, and we've looked at that several weeks in a row. And how we mess it up. Is everybody on the same page? We know, Pastor Robert and I know, this is God's design for marriage. We're going to walk through some more of it in a minute. But I don't want you to lose me by saying, well, that's not my marriage. Well, that didn't happen for me. This is like everything else. This is God's design. And we're going to look at how we mess it up. God's design for our marriage is to be fun and pleasurable. It's for our marriage to have companionship and help. For God to give us someone that we can live with and enjoy. One of my favorite country songs is, is called A Woman Like You. It's by Lee Bryce. And if you've heard the song, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If you haven't heard it, you can look it up later because it's super fun. But in the song, he starts to think about what life would be like without his wife. And he says things like, well, I'd, I'd do more deep sea fishing and I'd be a better golfer and I would eat whatever I want, like fast food chicken. And I'd be able to watch more football games and I'd have a bachelor pad. And you know, all the things we dream about as guys, like what life might be like if we weren't married. And, and sometimes it sounds like, you know, it might be kind of nice to do more of those things. It might be kind of nice to, to not necessarily be tied down and, and have more time to himself. But then check this out. At the end of the song, he comes to this realization and he says, but you know what? My life is so much better with you. I, I actually get seasick, deep sea fishing, and I'm terrible at golf. And my wife makes the best fried chicken. 
it's such a sweet song because it kind of walks through that process, that thought that many immature males go through and then realizes how much more fulfilling, how much better life is with his spouse. He knows he's a better man because of his wife. Guys and gals, those things that we think we can do on our own, they're, they're all fun and good. But sometimes we have to think about growing up and what does life look like and the joys that God has for us as he designed us to grow and mature and find a spouse. It's a good thing. Number four, marriage is for our sexual fulfillment. Sex between a husband and a wife isn't an accommodation to the primitive cravings of human animals. Sex was created by God for our enjoyment. Sexual desire is part of what drives a husband and a wife to commit to a lifelong covenant partnership. The exclusive nature of a monogamous Romantic sexual union between a husband and wife is God's design for satisfying our legitimate sexual needs. Let's look in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. In every conversation, about sex, even from a young age, parents should point their kids to God's design for sexual fulfillment inside the context of marriage. Any sexual expression outside of marriage will not provide the kind of satisfaction that we are looking for, which is why when you pursue that, you go back again and again And again, because it does not quench that thirst. The only form of sex permitted by God is between a husband and a wife inside the covenant of marriage. All other forms of sex lead to brokenness. It leads directly to brokenness. In our pursuit of true love and sexual fulfillment, it is easy to take shortcuts blaze our own path, and be tempted to follow the culture around us. It's easy to go along with the flow. But Christian parents especially should know and should show their children that marriage and marriage only provides safe, loving, and satisfying context in which true sexual fulfillment can be found. Number five. Marriage is to produce and raise children. The Bible makes it clear that children are a blessing and not a burden, even though some days they may feel like a burden when they don't listen, they don't do what you ask them to do, they don't get out of bed, they don't pick up their rooms. You're like, ugh. It says in Psalms 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Christian parents should show their children the opportunity and responsibility to bear and raise children if they are able to do so. Children are a blessing, and that should be done inside the covenant 
of marriage. The Bible teaches that it is the parents' responsibility to pass their love for God and their faith in God to future generations. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. He's saying you should be teaching the words of God all the time to your children. Children are a heritage that grow up and bring God honor and glory. Our goal should be to raise children that aspire to be parents themselves one day and bring God honor and glory. Number six, marriage is for sanctification. Sanctification is a big fancy word meaning becoming like Christ. Our marriage should help us in that process. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might be present, the church, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, marriage is a tool that God uses to make husbands and wives more like Christ. It is for our sanctification. Marriage can be fun. Yes, it should be fun. It is rewarding. But we also know that marriage is challenging. And marriage brings out things in us and, and exposes us to opportunities to not be the best husband in the world. Okay, are we, we, we're together on that? Marriage reveals ways where we may not be the world's best mom or the world's best wife or the world's best dad. Mar this is all part of marriage, and, and this is all part of the process. It helps us to see our blind spots. It exposes our selfishness. It shows us our sin in a way that can be extremely humbling. There is nothing in this world more humiliating and humbling then your miniature version of yourself sinning just like you sin. <laughs> if any of you have a miniature version of yourself, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have one, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I have one named Walter, and somehow we dance the same. I didn't teach him how to dance, but we just moved the same. He's like a mirror image of me, and I don't get it. But when he sins and he does things that I do, that is so convicting. That is so humbling. Marriage can be used by God as a way to point out our sin and bring us to repentance. If God didn't give me that relationship, if God didn't put those children in my home, I would not see these things. They're blind spots to me. There are times when I do things and say things that are hurtful and sinful and ungodly. And if it wasn't for my family, if it wasn't for my wife, those things would never be pointed out. This is God's purpose to help me in my process of sanctification. And then number seven, our last one, and I love this one. Marriage is to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. If you guys think about the old Western movies, you know, or wandering across a desert and there's just nothing for days, and then there's this outpost, there's this spot. There's this, this, this place that looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to save the day. Marriage should be an outpost of the kingdom of God. Marriage should be something planted and, and visible to the world around us. They should see hope. They should see joy and love. When a Christian couple gets married, they form this Christian household. 
And it should point in every way to who Christ is and what he's done for us. The way that they love each other, the way they serve one another, the way they're faithful to one another, the way they forgive and bless one another, the way they talk about each other to their friends. Guys, we cannot talk bad about our spouses to our friends. That is ungodly and unholy and not right at all. Ladies, I know it's tough. I know there's frustrations in your marriage. You cannot. We cannot do that. That is not modeling a Christian and godly relationship. We need to go to our spouse and have a conversation. We need to work those things out between the two of us. Your business in your home should not be with your girlfriends. Your business with your wife should not be shared with your buddies. That is not what God's called us to do. Our marriage should be an outpost of the kingdom of God. When a Christian marriage is at its best, it tells a true and attractive story about God's kingdom. However, when a Christian marriage falls apart, it tells a story about God's kingdom that isn't true or attractive. And I said it a minute ago, and I'll say it again. None of us are perfect. None of our marriages are perfect. We've all experienced brokenness. Every single one of us have experienced or are actively experiencing brokenness in marriage because we're sinners. But we need to see that God's design for marriage and the family is part of how God tells the world about who he is. How do you respond when your marriage isn't perfect? How do your coworkers see you deal with the brokenness that you've had to go through? That's how we point people to Christ when our marriage is an outpost of the kingdom of God. Now see, the three circles model can help you and your children have a framework for God's design when it comes to marriage. And, and, and I want to encourage you. I, I've said it so many times, I'm, I'm like blue in the face. I love this model. We teach our kids God's design for gender, for sexuality, for family structure. And, and it may create some uncomfortable conversations about the people in our lives. It may be difficult because we live in a broken world. And there are plenty of people in our circles that are not pursuing God's design in any way. And your children are around those people. So what about our neighbors or family members who are cohabitating? What about our, our, our family and friends who may be in same-sex relationships or, or having children outside of marriage? You can, you can insert virtually any issue into the three circles, and, and this will help you navigate those conversations. First, we figure out what God's design is for that issue. The kids, that's not God's design. And we acknowledge the sin, the thing that we bring to the table, and how, what does sin bring all the time? Where do we land? Brokenness. And then we talk about the hope that we have in the gospel. When we repent and believe and we change our direction and we see Christ and, and the, the, the restoration that he wants to bring and the way that he wants to change our lives forever. And we talk about what Jesus has done for, for us and what Jesus can do for them. In these type of situations, it's important that we know that God still loves those people around us. We need to tell our kids that we should love them too. We can encourage our kids, our families, not to be judgmental, not to be confrontational, but instead to pray that God will bring opportunities for them to see their need, for them to see their brokenness, for them to see Christ as a loving Savior who was sent to this world to restore and fix all the brokenness and help us pursue God's design.
All right, so let's take a real live cultural example that we face every day in life and walk it through the three circles. We're going to jump into the deep end this morning, and it's going to make some of you a little uncomfortable, but I think this topic of marriage points us to this, this situation. So let me ask you a question, and maybe you face this with your kids. If you have not, you more than likely will, knowing where our culture is. Imagine one of your kids comes home and they ask you the question, why does Aunt Sally sleep in the same bed as that other lady that she calls her girlfriend or her partner? What would you say? I said we're going to jump in the deep end, didn't I? What would you say? How would you respond? What's the first thing we need to identify? What's God's design? What is God's design for marriage? We said at the beginning of this message that God's design is what? One man with one woman for a lifetime. That is God's design. You remember how Satan tricked Eve in the garden. She doubted God's design and she doubted his goodness and Eve ultimately sinned. In the garden, just like Eve, Satan today uses that same trick. He hasn't changed. He's a one-trick pony. And he comes back time and time again and confuses people into sin today. Our world is utterly blinded and confused on this subject. And as a result, we live in a nation of sexual brokenness. We are broken as a nation on this topic. So let's confirm a few things. Let's get a a couple of presuppositions before we answer our child's question. What is this? It's the Bible. Does this Bible contain the words of God? It does. Do we believe the words of God contained in this book are in it from cover to cover? Yes. Are we to live our lives based on the principles and commands found in this book? Yes. Do those principles and commands lead to human flourishing and a joyful life? Yes. All right. So there's our presuppositions. If, those, if the answers to those questions are yes, then I have to ask, who do we think we are that we could change or improve upon God's design. That we as the creation think we know better than the creator God. The hubris and the arrogance to think that we as a created being would know better than the creator of this universe. My God. Culture in the world tells us every day that relationships outside of God's design are okay. But what do we know? What do we know outside of God's design? Where does it take us? It takes us to brokenness. It takes us to brokenness. Culture loves to use this phrase, and you will see it time and time again, that love is love. I ask you the question, is it really loving to affirm 
a relationship that you know God says leads to brokenness? It's a question I want you to think about. We haven't discussed in detail what that brokenness looks like, but if this is an area of your life where you are questioning God's design, I would challenge you and write this down. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and God, through the Apostle Paul, tells us what that brokenness looks like when we abandon God's design for marriage. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Remember, let's come back to our question that we asked about Aunt Sally. Remember, this model is designed to be ongoing conversation through every aspect of life. So back to our scenario. You could tell your kids that Aunt Sally and her friend are living like they are married to each other. And it would be better if Aunt Sally chose to follow God's design. Why? Because God's design is best. God loves Aunt Sally, and we as a family, we do too. The last thing we want is for Aunt Sally to ever feel like we don't love her. However, she knows what we believe about God's design, and we've told her that Jesus came to rescue her if she repents and believes. We want to be kind and patient with Aunt Sally and her friend and pray that God will give us those opportunities to share the gospel message with them. We should pray for Aunt Sally and ask God to help her and encourage her to recover and pursue God's design. Christian parents, we should be intentional in communicating that no matter what happens, that no matter how many times we sin or find ourselves in brokenness, that there is always, always a path of restoration. Always. There is no sin too great, no sinner too far away from the hand of God's grace and mercy. Do not forget that. The gospel makes it possible to always recover and pursue God's design. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, hearts, minds, lives, and families can be changed. So let's be a people that pursues forgiveness and seeks to be forgiven and recover and pursue God's design, the aspect of marriage. Let's pray.